0: Did something I've not done in about 20 years this past Wednesday. I went to the dentist. <laughs> no joke, I've not been to the dentist in about 20 years, and I, I went this past Wednesday, and The assistant was sitting to my left. The hygienist was sitting to my right cleaning my teeth. And some song came on and she started singing along. And the assistant started giving her a hard time. And she said, hey, it says make a joyful noise. It doesn't say anything about how the noise sounds other than joyful. You go right ahead and sing. If you're praising the Lord, it's okay. And it's a blessing to be able to sing out to him. Luke chapter 8. A question for you to to think about And it's going to sound like such a simple question And you might be uh, Tempted You, You might be prone to just Blurt out an answer To think an answer But I want you to really think seriously About the question Who do you minister to? Who do you serve? When when you go through life day by day, over the course of a week. By the way, friends, even during your time here in a local assembly, who do you minister to? Who do you serve? I'm thankful that this past Sunday about 20 of us gathered at the home of Glenn and Janice Davis Who are here with us this morning and it's so good to have them with us To help them following a tornado that went through our area very unexpectedly last Wednesday afternoon When that, when that storm went through it Damaged some people's homes it, it damaged some people's yards and trees and all of those things and those who were anywhere near the storm were shook by it, as any of us would be. If you've ever been through a tornado that's close by, if you've been through a hurricane in the, in the bad parts of it, Pastor, don't jinx anything, I'm sorry. But if you've ever been around something like that, you know it, it shakes you. It can create some natural fear. But in experiences like these, the Church of Jesus Christ has a unique opportunity to minister. Not long after I started as the youth pastor at the campus church in Pensacola, Florida, it had literally been just weeks, I got a call from one of our families of our church who had a couple of teenage sons. And they informed me that their son was in the hospital, in the emergency room. And I asked what had happened. He was mowing the lawn with a push mower. And something was caught up in the, in the blade, but it was still spinning. And he decided to, to lock the safety bar down and thought he could reach up under the deck of the mower while the blade was still spinning. And he cut off one of his fingers. And he was in the hospital in the emergency room. I went and saw them and spent time with them. And they were so grateful that I showed up and spent time with them in the hospital. I told my wife, told some others, wouldn't it be great if the first few months I'm here, every one of our teens ends up in the hospital? I know it sounds strange, but the, the family was so encouraged that their youth pastor came and saw them while they were there. I thought, hey, that's a great way to, to introduce myself to really get to know the family a little better if everyone would just end up in the hospital. You know, when, when things like that happen, when a storm blows through, we have a unique opportunity to minister we receive opportunity to show our love and to show God's love, to show our love for him and our love for others through practical acts of service. Ministering is so much more than the worship that takes place here during a traditional service. Sometimes we call a service such as this a worship service. And that could create in us the idea that this is where and this is when worship takes place. Where do you worship? Well, I worship at Cornerstone in Rocky Mount. When do you worship? Well, we worship at 1045 on Sunday mornings, 6 o'clock Sunday night, so on. And we might limit our idea of worship to that. But you understand, don't you, that worship is so much more than that. Sometimes worship means getting your hands dirty. Sometimes worship means working up a sweat. Not hard to do with the temperature the way it's been. Sometimes worship means taking a risk. Sometimes worship means investing where you may see little to no chance of return. Worship could look like standing up for and with the abused and the oppressed. Worship could look like giving money. It could look like so many things beyond what we often think. In doing these things, who do you minister to? Again, on Wednesday, I went to the dentist and I was there to, to get an exam and an x-ray and cleanings and all that. And when Nikki, the assistant, came in and she got started and we just got to talking and she ended up just standing there in the room for 15 minutes as we talked and Nikki told me about her 33-year-old son who died in November from a rare form of cancer they thought he had gotten food poisoning he and his fiance had gone out to eat at the same place he got sick then she got sick but when the sickness continued for several weeks he finally went to the emergency room and in the emergency room doctor was very concerned about his his symptoms sent him for a scan long story short they found cancer and about 6 months later he he died and she shared this story with me and Shared about her experience since, over the last eight, nine months or so. Uh, she's a believer. But shared about wondering why this would happen to her son. And to his fiance who was looking forward to marriage. She, she wondered why God chose their family chose them to bear that burden but then I was disheartened as she shared that as she has been to church with her church family she has had many come to her and rebuke her for struggling with it the way that she has been and how dare you question God in the midst of these things Do you know, not all storms are tornadoes and hurricanes. Some storms are the difficult things that we go through in life. And in those times, if you're the one going through the storm, you need to be ministered to. If someone else is going through the storm, they need someone to come along and minister, and maybe you're that one that God would use. You know, don't you, that God doesn't always work Through the miraculous. God often works through the normal. The normal activity and behavior of his people. Ministering to people in need. But I return to the question. Who do you minister to? Look at your Bibles at Luke chapter 8. We're just going to look at three verses this morning. Very simple message. But I believe it will speak to our hearts and make a difference if we'll catch the thought of it. Luke 8, verse 1, And it came to pass afterward, after what? Well, after the events that are described in chapter 7 that we've already studied, that he went throughout every city and village, preaching and showing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God, and the twelve were with him. And certain women, which had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, out of whom went seven devils. And Joanna, the wife of Chuzza, Herod's steward, and Susanna, and many others, which would you read now the next three words with me out loud. Ready? Ready? Ministered unto him. Who is him in the text? Who is it? Jesus. Who ministered unto him out of their substance. This brief passage introduces us to Jesus' second galilean tour the bible records times when jesus went to every city preaching and teaching the first of jesus's galilean tours is described in luke 4 42 to 44 where he went to every city and he preached in the synagogues he taught them about the kingdom of god telling them to repent the kingdom of heaven is at hand this is his second tour He has people with him this time, an entourage. The 12 chosen disciples were with him. Then Luke informs us that certain women were present with him. And this revelation represents something unusual for the culture. Praise God that Jesus received the ministry of women. You see, in that day, a rabbi would not have allowed a woman to be a part of his entourage. A woman wouldn't have had that privilege. Women were demeaned and and subjected in the culture of the day. Jesus received them. He received the ministry that they offered to him. And I'm thankful for that. He didn't repudiate them. He received and he raised them to a higher level than was common in the culture. And so right here, let me speak for a moment to you ladies. Ladies, understand that you do not have a lower rank in God's family or his service. You don't. Shame on men who have used the pulpit in God's word to belittle and demean women. I've heard it, I've seen it, and it's unfortunate. Jesus didn't do that. He received and he raised them. But by the way, men, can I I speak to you for just a moment? Shame on us when we take a back seat and sit by while while the women do all the ministry of the church. Let's not be guilty of that. Back in the text, Luke showed who they ministered to and how they ministered to, them, to him. Look again at verse 3. And Joanna, the wife of Chuzza, Herod's steward, and Susanna, and many others, which, say the three words again with me, would you? Ministered unto him. Whom did they minister to? Jesus who do you minister to Well, pastor, I minister to this person and that person. I minister to families as I sit with pastor's kids or any others in the nursery. I minister to families as I teach their kids in Sunday school or children's church. I minister to some of the elderly people of our church. I minister to everyone as they come in, as I stand at the door. I minister to this person and that person. If you asked the 12 disciples and the women that were traveling with Jesus at that time, you would hear the same answer. We minister to him. And you say, wait a minute, pastor. Jesus was physically present with them. As they journeyed along with him, that was their task, their job, to serve him. He was right there. He had needs as they traveled along. He he had need of, of them to help with organizing, of keeping the purse, of supplying for them because Jesus went without staff or script. Or a purse or anything He just went about He he was not concerned so much With where he laid his head at night He was not concerned with having a roof over his head He wasn't concerned with How are we going to pay for the next meal They went along with him And served him by helping meet some of those needs So of course they ministered on him And I understand that But friends I think There is something deeper here And can I remind you of the passage that Pastor Ronnie read earlier? Look at it again in Matthew 25. What's going on here? It's a judgment. People are standing before God, being judged. And they're judged in in this case, as Jesus teaches it here, really from just one group or another. And it has to do with ministry and service. And Jesus speaks to this group on the right and he blesses them. He commends them. He says, because I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was naked and you clothed me. I had a need and you were there to meet the need. And you can imagine this group of believers in Christ who Jesus is blessing and commending in this way. And they weren't the ones alive while he was here physically in the world. They never saw Jesus with these eyes or heard him with these ears. And you can imagine, can't you? They're standing around looking at each other. What in the world is he talking about? And Jesus says as he's teaching, they'll look at me and say, Jesus... When did we see you hungry? When did we see you thirsty? When did we see you naked? When did we see you uh, in need? And what does Jesus say? I'll look at them, and I'll say to them, if you ever did it, to the least of these." Who would the least of these be? We might all conjure up different ideas in our mind. It might be impoverished people who who are never going to give back. It might be what James talks about in James chapter 1, the fatherless, the widow. It, It might be a person or a group of persons that are oppressed. It might be a tribe in a distant nation that a person goes to and serves their entire lives and you never hear about them. Jesus said if you did it to one of the least of these who have you really done it to? What did he say? Me. So let me ask you again. Who do you minister to? If you and I will change our verbiage, change our vocabulary, and instead of saying, I minister to this or that person. We would say, I minister to Jesus. It would make such a difference. You say, Pastor, it's just semantics. It's just words. No, it really will make a difference. When you and I begin to realize, I don't, just, I don't minister to this naughty, nosed brat. I don't minister to adult brats i don't minister to a poor person i don't minister to an oppressed person i i don't minister to a tribe out there in some foreign land i, I don't minister to the missionary to go to them I, I don't minister to to these people in need if we would instead say i minister to jesus it would make all the difference. When you prepare to serve the church, don't say, I'm ministering to the church. Oh, I've got to go do something for pastor again. How about instead say, I, I'm ministering to Jesus. When you prepare to minister through some service opportunity, say, I'm ministering to Jesus. When when you prepare to go to the mission field, to serve on the mission field near or far, say, I minister to Jesus. When you go to serve in your community, I'm not serving Rocky Mount. I'm ministering to Jesus. It makes a difference when we take that perspective. And so this morning, for these few moments, with that thought in mind, I want us to dig into these three verses to see what ministering to Jesus looked like in the lives of these early believers. Number one, would you notice with me, ministering to Jesus is my response to what he has done for me. Ministering to Jesus is my response to what he has done for me. Look again at verse two of the text. In certain women which had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities and mary magdalene out of whom went seven devils would you agree with me this morning that the women introduced in the text some who are named some who are not they had been healed of some complex situations would you would you agree with that I mean, whether we're talking demonic oppression or possession, it really doesn't matter. Certainly, Mary Magdalene experienced demonic possession. It's clear. But whether, whether they were being oppressed by demons or literally possessed by demons, these are some complex situations. The Bible describes the effects of demonic oppression and possession ...as a very serious situation, very similar to that of psychopathic behavior. People who experience this injure themselves and others. They they get involved in crazed activities. They act very animal-like, often with extreme aversion to social interactions... Do you remember Mark chapter 5, the madman of Gadara? I mean, what was he like? He had superhuman strength. Well, I'd be okay with that. Not the way he got it, though. He was driven out from society. They tried to bind him multiple times, and every time they tried, no matter what they tried to bind him with, he broke the bonds. He went about screaming and wailing at the top of his lungs. Because he was driven from society, he lived among the tombs. By the way, the preoccupation with death should be telling. He cut himself over and over and over again. These women had situations like that. Because of that, certainly... They were driven from their families and communities. These women described in Luke chapter 8, verse 2, were outcasts from society. They lost all their friendships. The Bible says some of them suffered infirmities. This is different. This word described feebleness of mind or body. Sometimes it's used to describe moral frailty. It, It identifies the ideas of incapacity, weakness, limitation. And all of these women suffered from some type of condition that left them severely lacking. And Mary Magdalene suffered cruelly. The Bible says that out of her went seven Demons. He was possessed not by one, but by multiple. And when we find this in the scripture, it is suffering of the most torturous nature. But all of them were healed by Jesus. Do you know what the answer is for these things? I don't know this morning. I, I may be speaking to someone who, who has been feeling the oppression of demons. Have you ever been there? Where you feel the attack so strongly. You might say it this way. Satan has me in his bullseye. You feel the attack so strongly that you know There are demonic spirits or presence Right there with you I think my dad has shared here before I've heard him say it Shortly after he started pastoring in Harrison, Illinois He received a phone call late at night From his associate at the time To find out that their home Was, was in a blaze It was burning to the ground Their son, I believe he was an adopted son, I forget his age, he was a young son, was there in the house and killed in the fire. And my dad describes as he got in the car and drove to their home, which was still burning when he arrived, he felt in the car the presence of demonic spirits. The attack was so strong. But do you know what the answer for all of those things is? Jesus is the answer. Friends, listen, here's the reality. It, it's not some sort of crazy exercise that's needed even when in a situation like that. It's not some sort of right or, or some sort of traditional go through this process of statements and herbs and, 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 and fragrances and all of those things. The answer is Jesus you'll ever find yourself in a situation where you're in the presence of someone who's demonically possessed, and you think, what do I do? Preach the gospel. That's what you do. The answer was and is Jesus. Here's the reality. It's not only the gratitude they owed him for healing them of their infirmities and demonic oppression and possession, but they owed Jesus a debt of gratitude for new life provided through the gospel. And in gratitude, they served him. They ministered to him. So serious question for thought. What has Jesus done for you? You can go back over the course of your life. And if you can sincerely review your life and only answer, well, he gave his life for me, that would be enough to gratefully minister to him forever. But friends, I would submit to you that he's done so much more for you than that. I shared last week that the multitude of your sins Is not greater than the magnitude of his mercy And that is because over and over again You have been a recipient of the mercies of God His love for you is beyond imagining He is reckless He is, he is irrational in his love for you You say, Pastor, how can you say that? Is there any reason why the God of heaven would love you? I don't know about you, but I don't deserve it. He's done so much for us. What did the Apostle Paul say? Was the basis for giving ourselves as a living sacrifice in Romans 12 verse 1? I beseech you, therefore, brethren... By the mercies of God. That ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Paul said, it's reasonable. It should be natural for you and I to climb up on the altar and say, God, here I am. And gratefully serve him all our lives. Why? What makes it our reasonable service? Paul says, the mercies of God. You've been the recipient of his mercy over and over and over again. Each one of us is a recipient of the mercies of God. And because of that, we should gratefully minister to him throughout our lives. Have you experienced? his mercies if so how are you responding to that truth I minister to Jesus I'm the pastor of Cornerstone Independent Baptist Church in Rocky Mountain North Carolina have been for seven years and even if you've been here that entire time I don't minister to you Pastor, that sounds horrible. I minister to Jesus. And if that means that I serve you in the process, praise God for it. But I minister to him. And think about this. We minister to him in response to what he has done for us. And so I don't have to worry about, well, what have you done for me lately? Right? Right? I don't have to worry about, well, what has Mr. So-and-so done for me lately that would cause me to serve him? No, I minister to Jesus because of what he's done for me. So it really doesn't matter what you do for me. I minister to him. Then, as we continue to think about the reason uh, is because of what he's done for me, I want you to also think for a moment about this company of individuals. This will help you from the twelve disciples to the women to Mary Magdalene out of whom went seven devils some very complex situations in that group to Joanna the, hu- the wife of Herod's steward I-, I mean someone in the royal court to Susanna who we know nothing about they're serving Jesus When you think about even just this small group, you know what you find out? You have a varied group full of individuals from different backgrounds, different races, different social standings. And by the way, you also have some people with some pretty serious sinful pasts. And they're all involved in ministering to Jesus. Can, listen to me this morning. and Get this. Your background doesn't disqualify you. Your past doesn't disqualify you. Your social status doesn't disqualify you. Well, God wouldn't want me because this is my background. God wouldn't want me because this is my family history. God wouldn't want me because this is my race. God wouldn't want me because I've done this, that, and the other in the past. I've been involved in this. I've been an addict. I've been a drunkard. I've been a a gossiper. I've been covetous. God wouldn't want me. No, friends, your background, your past, your social status, none of it disqualifies you. You can minister to Jesus. You're not disqualified. Have you been held back by something like that? I mean, literally, have you... Have you come short of jumping in completely to ministering for Jesus and to Jesus because of something like that? It doesn't disqualify you. You can minister to Jesus. Number two, I want you to see this. And I promise the second two points will be a little quicker than the first. Ministering to Jesus is my reason to share the gospel. in verse number one did you catch what jesus went about doing he went about preaching and showing the glad tidings of the kingdom of god what does that mean jesus preaching and teaching the gospel the gospel the good news of the kingdom the good news that we're all broken and we all fall short but God has the remedy and by the way if you're not sure that God really does have the remedy just look again at the people that were traveling with Jesus look at the 12 disciples you talk about some broken messed up people look at the women look at Mary Magdalene You talk about some people with some really serious background and and sin issues in their past. Does God really have the remedy? Look at the group of people following him. God has the answer. That's what Jesus went about teaching. As much as people need help physically, emotionally, financially, or socially... Man's greatest need is the gospel of jesus christ because we're broken We're sinners we fall short and this constant is true of all people in all places in all times Whether you're here in rocky mountain north carolina You're on the far side of the world in another country It's the need of every person of every every nation at all times in all places is the gospel of jesus christ I'm praying about An opportunity that came out of the blue in the last two or three weeks I got an email. I wasn't sure if it was Legitimate first and gone back and forth a lot and and it's legitimate. I got an email from a pastor in india I have no clue who he is Never met him before never talked to him before. He sent me an email said found your messages on youtube I want you to come to India and preach for us Next year He sent me A message on Facebook messenger A couple of days ago He had gotten together with a group of 130 pastors in India And said he prayed for our ministry Okay I'm still praying about going But if I go you know what I'll preach The gospel Because that's what they need Just like it's what we need The gospel of Jesus Christ is the need. Jesus consistently preached these glad tidings everywhere he went. Okay, who was with him as he did this? Well, the people mentioned here, right? The 12 disciples, these women, Mary Magdalene, Joanna, the the wife of, of Herod's steward, Susanna, who we know nothing about, These were the people with him. They saw what he did, but even before they heard what he said, they heard him preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. All these people from different backgrounds, different social status, with complex backgrounds, with sinful pasts, heard Jesus preach the gospel of the kingdom. And before Jesus went to heaven, do you know what he told them to do? Did he tell them, keep doing the works I did? Is that what he said? He said, keep preaching the message you heard me preach. Look in your Bibles. You don't have to turn there now. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Mark 16, 15. Luke 24, 46 to 49. John 20 21 to 23 acts 1 8 in all of those right before he ascended to heaven jesus said go to all the world and preach the gospel now yes he told them there will be works among you there will be works that will be a part of your ministry but that wasn't the focus the focus was preach the gospel He told these 12 disciples, preach the gospel. He told these certain women who were healed of demonic plague, preach the gospel. He told Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven devils, preach the gospel. He told Joanna, the wife of Herod's steward, someone in the royal court, preach the gospel. Susanna, who we know nothing about, preach the gospel. You say, Pastor, what does that mean for me? What does it mean as I think about ministering to Jesus? It means that all of us, regardless of our background, regardless of our social status, regardless of our sinful past, if we're going to minister to Jesus, we should be engaged in sharing the gospel with others. Can we deny that we've been given this ministry? I don't think any of us can. But do you see the ministry of sharing Jesus with others as ministry to Jesus? It makes a difference. You're not ministering to the church when you share the gospel. Well, I'm going to go out and share the gospel because if somebody gets saved and shows up at our church, it'll help our church. No, that's the wrong attitude and focus altogether. Well, I better go do it because pastor's getting on my case. And every time I sit in church, he's stepping on my toes. So I better get out and do sharing the gospel I'll help my pastor. I'll minister to my pastor by doing that. No, that's, that's the wrong motivation altogether. You're not ministering to the church. You're not ministering to the pastor. You're not ministering to the world. You're not ministering to people. When you share the gospel, you are ministering to Jesus when you shared him with others in need. So make that your focus How can I get motivated To share the gospel I get nervous about it I understand I've been there I still get there I understand I I, I don't know the right words how, How can I do that pastor They might look at me funny They might say something unkind, and it might deeply hurt. Get out of your mind, I'm serving the church, I'm serving the pastor, I'm serving the world, and get in your mind, I'm ministering to Jesus. And if that isn't enough of a motivation, then maybe you ought to take a step back and re-examine your relationship with Jesus. Number three, ministering to Jesus is my resources put into use for his work. Look look back at verse three. So here's the disciples, the the certain women, Mary Magdalene. Here's Joanna, the, the wife of Herod's steward. Here's Susanna, who we know nothing about. And what are they doing? Verse number three of Luke chapter eight. The Bible declares to us they ministered unto him of what? Their substance. All right, so let's ask the question what is their substance? What is their substance? Can I give you the definition? Whatever they had. What did the 12 disciples have to offer the Lord? What did these women? What did Mary Magdalene? What did Joanna, the wife of Herod Stewart? What did Susanna, who we know nothing about, what did they have to offer the Lord? I don't know. But I know this. Whatever they had, that's what they used to minister to Jesus. I see a a diverse group of people I see people with complex and sinful pasts. I see people with different social statuses. Some had a lot. Others had very little. But regardless of what each had, they shared a similarity. They ministered to Jesus of their substance. There were no prerequisites. Well, if only I had this, or if only I had that, then I could minister. No, there were no prerequisites like that. Each one used what they had to minister to Jesus. Let me show you a very simple biblical illustration of this in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Paul was writing to the church at Corinth, which had a lot, they were wealthy. It was a city of commerce and economy and And within the church there were people who had a lot And they had made a promise to paul to take up an offering for a group of struggling christians And after a year they hadn't fulfilled that promise And so paul in second corinthians chapter 8 is writing to them and he's encouraging them to fulfill their promise using the the example of the churches in Macedonia, what, what church was that? It, it was specifically the church at Philippi. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 and 2, Paul says something very strange. He says, this group of churches in Macedonia, the church at Philippi, in their deep affliction, with joy... Mixed with their great poverty. There's two things that don't go together. Have you ever experienced deep poverty? Have you had those times when you've looked at your bank account and it was pretty empty? And you thought, praise God, my bank account's empty. In their affliction, they were going through a difficult time. But yet, with intense joy, in spite of deep poverty, they gave to the Lord. Do you know, often, ministering to Jesus means serving him with what you already have. Maybe you'd say today, Pastor, I don't know where to begin to minister for Jesus. So I'll help you today. What do you have? What do you have? Do you have a voice? Do you have hands and feet? Do you have possessions, resources, or finances? Do you have a skill set? Do you have a spare bedroom? Do you have some connections with people in the community that you could help to pair people with who need the resources that they can offer? Do you have a story to share of what God has done in your life? You say, I don't even know where to begin ministering for Jesus. What do you already have? And, friends, I promise you, if you will begin to minister to Jesus with what you already have, God will open up an avenue to give you more. Not for you. But more that you can use to minister to him Do you remember i've i've shared it before i've preached it before in first chronicles 29 David wanted to build a house for god But god said no You're not going to do it. Your son solomon will do it David said, okay, well i'm going to do what I can I'm going to lay up the resources so that when Solomon comes to the throne, he'll already have a good start or everything he needs. And in 1 Chronicles 29, David opens speaking to the people of Israel by talking about everything that he as king, with his authority as king, had laid aside, led the nation then laying aside. But then he said, out of my own personal store, I've laid aside all this. And you look, and it was the best that David had. He laid it aside. But then in 1 Chronicles 29, verse 5, he challenged the people of Israel. And he said, Who now, this day, is willing to consecrate his service to the Lord? That phrase, consecrate his service, is very interesting uh, in the original language. It literally has the idea of this. Who will open his hand up to the Lord? Do you know what someone with open hands before the Lord does? Someone with open hands before the Lord says God here's everything that I have it belongs to you I'm not holding it to myself I'm not holding it for me I'm opening up my hands and saying God here's what I have it's for you someone with open hands who keeps their hands open as God places something in their hands their hands are still open offering it back pastor I I don't know how to even start Start with what you have. Look out for how you can use what you already have to minister to Jesus. And here's a promise. If you and I will go about with our eyes open like that, with our hands open like that, We won't even have to walk out of this building when we close before we'll find a way to minister to Jesus. There'll be someone right here who will need what you have. You'll walk out these doors with eyes open, hands open, a heart open, and it won't be long before God will show you somebody else. Who needs what you have well what have they done for me no 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 that's not the question what has Jesus done for you that's the question and if you can answer with anything then you have all the reason you need to minister to Jesus who do you minister to who do you minister to Jesus alright now when you leave today Walk out that door with that thought in your mind and in your heart. I minister to Jesus. How can I do so right here, right now, with those right around me?